Welcome to Wild for Wildflowers, a podcast about wildflowers. I am your host, Kelsey, and I'm here with my sister. I'm Tanea. And we're excited to be back. Yeah, we haven't back, back, recorded back. in so long. <laughs> it's only been like uh, a couple weeks podcast time. Shh. No. Yeah, it's been a while. How are you feeling? Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited to do this. Yes. It's going to be great. So, even though it's winter time, it's like negative 30 degrees in some places here. It's like negative 10 degrees here. But we're going to talk about somewhere where it's not that cold. Um, so, Tanea and I recently went on a trip to the Grand Canyon. And I say recently, but that was like months ago now. But yeah, so we did the rim to rim hike and spent the bottom, or spent the bottom, spent the night at the bottom of the canyon. Grand Canyon in Arizona. Of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. What did I say? Did I well, say you just said we did the rim to rim hike and people might not know that that's the Grand Canyon. Oh, I thought I said the Grand Canyon, but I guess I did. Okay. Um, yes, in the Grand Canyon in Arizona. So, yeah, but we saw a bunch of plants there, even though it was obviously not like bloom, blooming time in the desert. It's, it was fall. So there wasn't tons of flowers, but there's still lots and lots of plants and quite a few flowers. But there's one that we saw that I'm going to talk about today, and it's called the Utah agave, also known as the century plant. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. I didn't know you I'm, were doing this one right now, but I'm excited because this is such a cool looking plant. Yeah. So the whole time we were hiking, I was like, whoa, is that, I didn't know exactly because I'm not very familiar with desert plants. And I was like, it looks kind of like a yucca or a, an agave, but I didn't know for sure. And it has this huge spike that comes up and it's like really tall, like taller than the trees out there. Is that what it's called a spike? Yeah, actually it is okay. a spike. I know you'll get or, into all of it, but yeah. Yeah, it actually is considered a spike. Yeah, but they're obviously not in bloom. They're dead, but you could tell, you could see like the seed pods and stuff. But anyway, I ever since we went there, I was like, oh, I want to do some research on that. So here we are. So the first... The first time I ever saw one was when I went to Sedona when I was living in Arizona. And I took a picture of it because I was like, oh, my God, this is like an alien, like plant species. Yeah. It's so crazy looking how like tall it and totally... thick they are. Like, it's cool. Yeah. And it like it comes out from the agave and it the agave plant itself is not that big or tall and then like mm -hmm. it it just looks huge and it does it looks almost like comical like what how does that exist yeah like, it's so weird like, crazy um yeah because you had seen them before i was like this is awesome um but yeah so they're they're kind of like all over the place but yeah so this plant it's agave utahensis and it's also, I said, it's also called the century plant. And that's just because people thought that it bloomed once every 100 years. Like, they're like, oh, it goes so long between blooming. It's all, so it's like, 
there's a bunch of plants that they name certain things and you're like, that's not true, but that's just like what people thought. So they gave it a cool name. Even like though it wasn't a hundred years. That's so, they're like, we've never seen it bloom. So we're just going to say it blooms every hundred years. Yeah, exactly. You're like, what? Where did you get that? And also, if you were actually paying attention, you would see some blooming right. more than that. Yeah. So it's weird. Yeah. So that's funny. But I'll probably just call it Utah agave. But yeah, okay, so this plant only is only found in Utah and Arizona in like oh, cool. two pretty small sections. But that's the case with a lot of things in the Grand Canyon, actually. Like I was looking up those squirrels and they actually have a, a species that those squirrels that we saw, that tufted ear ones. Yeah, yeah. And like they only, there's a subspe- Weren't they like kaibab squirrel or something? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the Kaibab National Forest. Yeah. And they literally only live in Kaibab National Forest. They're only found there. That's so weird. So there's a lot of species that only are like specific to the Grand Canyon. So that's what's super that's cool. That's really cool. It's like its own ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this plant, this one, there's a subspecies. So like we haven't done one yet, but... It's like, it's not a different species. It's just a little bit different. Like it's not, it doesn't deserve its own name, um, its own species name. It just needs, it's a variation of Agave Utahensis. And it's also called, Kai, so it's called Kaibabensis. Agave Utahensis. And then in like the Latin terminology, it's a V, it's V-A-R, which just means like the variety. Mm. Um and it's Kaibavensis. So okay. that's how it will be like written, like in a book. Yeah. Um, Agave Utahensis Kaibavensis. So this is the uh, Utah Kaibab Agave, which is super cool. Um, so yeah, it only grows in Kaibab National Forest in the Grand Canyon in Arizona. Um, but yes, yeah, so which the I name... guess extends into Utah since so it's in Utah too. Yeah. Okay. So there is, yes. So wherever, yeah, it's part partly in Utah. Yeah. Yes. So it can be found there too. Yeah. Right. It should be the Arizona agave since it's mostly in Arizona. <laughs> that was my very first thought. I was Maybe like, they what? discovered it in Utah and named it. And then they're like, oh, I guess it's in Arizona too. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, crap. Well, it's already been named. Even though they change plant names all the time. Anyway, we should petition for it to be changed to Arizonaensis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So agave is Greek for admirable or noble. Really? Which is funny. So I guess, yeah, they're admirable or noble. The agaves. Um... Okay, so I'm going to talk about the plant, um, get more into it. So it's considered to be a shrub, and it's in the family Asparagaceae, hmm. which I didn't know was a family because it sounds like asparagus. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> Asparagaceae. I think but it's nothing to do with this. Okay. I was going to say it doesn't know. have anything to do with asparagus or it's just a coincidence. I didn't do much <laughs> research on that. But it used to be, agave used to have its own family called uh, agavaceae. Okay. 
So it was in the Agavaceae family, but then they changed it to Asparagaceae. Oh, okay. Because they must have found like stuff, maybe like certain plants that are like asparagus are related or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, so agaves are gen in general are monocarpic. So this means that each rosette, so it starts with a rosette of of um leaves, the shrub itself, mm-hmm. it dies after flowering. Right. So most of them are not living at longer than 30 years. And that makes perfect sense because I remember when we were hiking. We would see the one that had bloomed and then you look at the plant itself and it was like looked dead. Yeah. Some of them were like completely fallen over Uh and like out of the earth. And I was like, I wonder if they because it's I mean, some plants can die back completely and then regrow. So I didn't know for sure if it died after flowering, but that's kind of what I thought. But it does. So but then a lot of them, um, we saw another plant right next to it growing like next to the old dead one. Um, So they often produce other plants next to the original one sprouting from rhizomes um, from the original plant. Okay. And then, so they're like you, like that had already spread out before it died and probably shot out some more roots. Uh, I mean, some more leaves. Right. And then that original plant will die. Because it's like succulents where like you can just like take a leaf and then like... Is it like that? Are agaves kind of like succulents well, where you can just take a leaf and put it in the soil and then it like grows? I don't no. actually know. It might be. Um, I don't know about that. But like it, it's spreading from the rhizomes. It happens underground. Oh, okay, okay. And then it grows up. But I think that's like a different than if you take a succulent you yeah. know, you take it and then it regrows. But it's not to say that it's not like that because it might be right. i don't know for okay. sure because a lot of them can yeah that's the amazing thing about succulents it's like one little leaf will fall off and then it makes a new plant but yeah so the original plant and then sometimes it produces bulblets they're called bulblets like just little guys like it's kind of like the echeveria um succulent the ones that grow in rosettes and then all of a sudden there'll be like a baby next to it like right. like hens and chicks yeah. it's a bulbet Uh, It's just like a smaller version of themselves, kind of. But yeah, so this species grows for 8 to 10 years before it blooms. Um, So So it's like every decade, right? (laughs) Every (laughs) decade-ish. Yeah, so so there's often mass bloomings, like... Bear, like we talked about with bear yeah. grass, how it's like all of a sudden they'll be And it kind of looks like the flower kind of reminds me of bear grass. A lot. It actually reminds me of it a lot yeah. now because it's just like it grows almost the same way and it also has like similar mm-hmm. leaves. Like it's kind of crazy. Um, But yeah, so there's often – so you'll see like a whole bunch of them in bloom all at once. Okay, so let's talk about the flower. So the flower is very show- showy and yellow and it forms a giant spike that contains many many individual flowers so that whole spike is like covered in different flowers it's not just one flower Mm -hmm. which you know we've seen that before like with bear grass but so the yellow stamen are very prominent and then there's six petals and an inferior ovary so the inflorescence of how it grows like I said it's a spike but it's 
It's technically a terminal brachate raceme or a spike. Okay. So that just means that, I mean, we talked about, so raceme and spike are super similar. Raceme is, it's like upward growth and then there's flowers, ding, 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 on right. the other side going right. up it, right? Um, but a spike is the same thing except for the flower is not directly attached to the stem. There's like a little, there's a little like um, branched out part mm-hmm. and then the flower mm-hmm. is there. So that's the only difference um, between a raceme and a spike. So like if you look at the flowers up close, like if you can, I have a picture somewhere and you can see that there's like that little, it, I found one on Google, but there's like the stem and then there's a green part that comes up and then you can see the flower. So that's what makes it a spike. Okay. Instead of the flower being directly on the stem. Right. Um, but yeah, so there's hundreds of flowers on each spike um, that are close together and go straight up in the air, just like a giant club of yellow flowers. And each individual flower starts with a green stem coming from the flower stalk. Then the petals form a little bulb that bulges out. Mm-hmm. And then the bulb closes back up. And the stamen are like sticking out of it. Yeah, I um, found a close-up. So that's, those are the petals form, yeah, the bulb. And then the stamen are sticking out and they're like huge. And you can see like in this picture, you can see the pollen on them. And it's like, yeah, they're they're very prominent. Yeah. Um, And really beautiful. I want to see them so bad in bloom. I can't remember if I've actually seen them in bloom. I don't know. When do they bloom? Like, is that, like, a certain time of year? Or is it just... I don't think I wrote when they bloom on here. But I think it's, like, early. Earlier. um... It might be, like, when most things bloom in the desert, like, during the monsoon season. Like, June. Like, July. June, July. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was, like, it's probably not... I was going to say maybe, like earlier than that but since it takes this flower stalk is so big it probably takes a while for it to get big enough and then actually bloom you know yeah so um so that would make sense like june or july okay so we're gonna talk about the leaves the leaves are evergreen um so meaning that like even when they're they go dormant they stay Mm -hmm. green like a pine tree or something um so they're serrated like you know a serrated knife it's like yeah like jaggedy on the mm-hmm. edge um and they cause irritation and dermatitis in most people so like if it scratches you also, or if yeah, yeah. like if well it scratches yeah you. that makes sense yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah that does make sense but it's a, it forms like a little rosette so if you think of a rose and how the petals go around and around it's just like that the leaves go around and they're semi-succulent so they hold a ton of water in there, but they're not a true succulent. I don't know exactly what makes it a true succulent off the top of my head, but they're semi-succulent and it's entire. So there's little serrated edges, but anyway, it's a rosette of semi-succulent spine-tipped leaves. And then they have teeth along the leaf blades. So that's the serrated part. They're like little teeth. And then the very end of the leaf has a spike 
like they're spiky. Yep. Like if you put your hand on it, it would. But they're called semi-succulent because they're like kind of similar to succulents, but not really succulents. Yeah. So I don't know the exact definition of semi-succulent, but essentially they hold a lot of water in their leaves and they can go long periods without getting water but it's not exactly like if they were a true succulent I think they could go even longer um without having water right a water source okay yeah so essentially I mean I assume those are all just like defense mechanisms to keep because they have a lot of value um which we'll talk about later, like of eating thing parts and things. So it's probably the reason why they have spikes and stuff is because they are keeping predators away from them, like deterring them, just like a cactus would or something like that. Um, so yeah, their fruit, which is the part that we saw, um, we didn't see any of the seeds because it looked like they'd all been dispersed, but um, the fruit are a capsule just meaning that it breaks open and the seeds burst out. Um, so the seeds are extremely abundant. I didn't get exact numbers, but there's a ton of them and they're really small and black. Um, okay. So it's like oh, hundreds of thousands probably um, because each plant has hundreds of flowers and then each capsule has hundreds of seeds in them. So a lot of seeds. Um so, okay, so this says their habitat. Um, so it's part of the cacti succulent variety, meaning it can go long periods without water because it holds water in its leaves. And this is just a specialized modification. So its native range is Utah and Arizona, where it's very hot and dry. Mm-hmm. So it's like zone 7A. We haven't talked about zones yet, but I figured I would throw it in here because... Some people probably know zoning if you're a gardener, um, like Montana, Billings, where I'm at right now is like zone five. Um, and then like Bozeman is like, or like up higher. It depends on the elevation and how cold it gets mm-hmm. um, in the winter. So like Billings doesn't usually get below negative 20, but this winter it did already. So, But anyway, it doesn't normally. Um, yeah, so it's they don't they will not stand like really cold temperatures is what i'm saying um but kaiba agave is among the cold hardiest of the agave okay. so it that's probably why it grows like all the way at the top of the grand canyon and then like all the way down to the bottom too right. because it can tolerate a lot more snow and like frost and stuff yeah but um agave is a really good uh, garden plant um and it's been selectively bred for a long time to be grown in landscapes um and gardening especially for like the xeroscape gardening and hot dry environments so you can't do agave like in montana probably not. so no but we can grow yucca okay guess i'll have to go <laughs> with yucca okay. <laughs> yeah we can grow yucca and they're yeah, I don't think agave, no. The xeroscaping is cool, though, in Arizona. Like, like when I lived there, like, just walking around the neighborhood and seeing all the xeroscaping with all the cacti and stuff, It's it looks cool. Yeah, it's one of, like, my favorite 
gardening in a way like I don't know that much about it but it's like I love um looking at them online because it's stuff that you wouldn't think could grow but it does oh there's a there's a house down the road for me that has just a land like a zero escaped um yard the but one yeah, with all really the cool. rocks like, I like that are all like piled up oh no that one I don't know what the heck's <laughs> okay going on there. okay because, like, that is just weird. It freaks me out because there's, like, nothing there. Well, and, and then, then it's, like, a like, giant tree. Well, yeah, and then it's, like, it's because the way they have the rocks, it's, like, you have to go out and, like, like if rake them. Yeah, they them get ruined. Or anything, yeah. you have to rake yeah. them all the time. So it's, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, is aeroscaping supposed to be, like, less work, yeah. less water, obviously? And I'm, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of freaks me out. Like, I don't know what's going on over there. Um, Okay. So, I'm going to talk about the ethno-botanical uses of agave. Ooh. So, the agave genus has over 200 species. Um, and many of them you've probably heard of, like blue agave, because it's used to make tequila. Oh, yeah. And, um, but we're not going to talk too much about agave and tequila because i don't care <laughs> weird because it doesn't interest weird me that and you i don't... use a plant to make... okay yeah i'll look into it more that's interesting um well i'll talk a little bit maybe about how it's used but i'm not going to talk about too much about that because i could talk about that like all day we could probably have a whole podcast about that yeah. but episode or two no. but i don't want to because, yeah, I don't drink and neither do you. So we don't care. <laughs> Just kidding. You can not drink and care about things like that. But I don't personally. Okay, before we get into ethnobotanical uses, I'm, I'm gonna, there's another, I, there's another part about um, having agave in your garden. Okay. So it can be a really good garden plant. Um, they go really well in rock and succulent gardens, which is like what we were just talking about, having them in a zeroscape area. And they need, but they need lots of hot sun and super well-draining sandy soil mm-hmm. like they would have in a desert. Yeah. Um, but also if you have it in the garden, you need to be careful because the needles are super spiky on their leaves and they can hurt, obviously, if you brush up against them. So yeah. if you're going to plant some agave, be careful. Same with um, yucca too. Because like when I worked in the greenhouse, I sometimes I'd scratch myself on it and it really hurts. Um, okay. So that's all I had about agave and gardening. But so now ethnobotanical uses of agave. Um, so agave plays an important role in many native cultures, especially in Mexico where agave is most abundant and diverse, like most of the agave comes from Mexico that we have used. Mm -hmm. Um, But so it's very fibrous and durable tissues in their leaves, um, which makes it very useful in making rope and sandals and like sleeping mats and hats and brushes for like native cultures, which is super cool. So you can use it, the fibers for like anything. And it, agave has also been used for a lot of environmental biology research. Um, so environmental biology is the study of how organisms adapt to their environments. So there's just, they, they um, when I was looking at articles, there's just like tons and tons, hundreds of articles about 
how they've studied agave and learned how it adapts to living in that, you know, type of environment. Mm. So I was talking about agave and the fiber use of like natives, but it's also, I didn't, I could have also talked about this forever because it has so many uses in like the history, but I don't want to talk about everything because it's not that interesting, I guess. Um, and it could be a whole nother podcast too. So agave cultivation and uses commercially because we've used agave commercially as for rope and fiber making. So before we had synthetic fibers, before we could make any of that in like the 1920s and 30s, agave was used as fiber materials. And that was like Mexico's biggest export. Okay. Um, out of the Yucatan Peninsula. They would export all kinds of agave plants for fibers mm-hmm. um, to make rope and things like that. Um, but now that we have synthetic fibers, which most things that you buy now are synthetic, so um, we don't have that much use for them anymore. So that's just like not a thing. Um, now I think it's mostly for tequila. <laughs> oh yeah, so then I was just gonna talk a little bit about the history of agave and um we talked about how it was like used for native cultures but i have a little bit more information on that so in a study of ancient human feces from nine thousand years ago belonging to native mexican peoples they found cacti and agave fibers so meaning that people have been eating agave starting around nine thousand years ago that we know of how was it like fossilized how i thought poop like yeah decompose like how yeah i think it's that's so crazy it's like it's like um very difficult like a lot of those things do disintegrate and they're lost in time but every once in a while they'll find like it's like how you find like a fossil of a leaf it's yeah it doesn't happen that often because leaves disintegrate so fast, but sometimes they get pressed like just the right way and they preserve themselves. Um, so I guess that's how they found it. But I thought that was so And crazy. it's also crazy that they could get like samples from it to figure out what they were eating. <laughs> that's know. so crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, I was just like, what? So we have been eating like agave for a long time, um, which is crazy. But yeah, so in the 16th century, the native people were introduced um, to distillation by the European settlers. So they weren't using the agave like that until white folks came over. (laughs) Right. Um, Which began the production of tequila. But before this, um, natives would make a fermented beverage from the sweet sap. That's extracted from the top of the stem near the central spike. Um, After the smaller plant is excised from the larger mother plant. So the mother plant is just like the original plant. So you literally just have to like take off. There's like this one little part of this sap that collects. And it's like that you have to like take that out very carefully and then they'd use that for the fermented drink yeah oh, crazy and then they'd use so but then it says this sap was drank directly from the plant as a bed 
as a beverage. So they'd also just drink it. Okay. Um, and that was in prehistoric times. So, like, they've been drinking fermented beverages slash sap from agave for ever because it's really sweet. Well, fermented stuff is good for your gut microbiome. Yeah. So it's good so, to I eat, mean, like, sauerkraut and stuff. Oh, I really want to make my own sauerkraut. Um, is it easy? Yeah, it's really easy. I have, like, the perfect place to ferment stuff. Because I have, like, a little crawl space area that goes under the house. Yeah, you should just fill that fucker <laughs> with, like, cans of <laughs> cabbage and be, like, the crazy fermenting lady. Like, you smell, like, cabbage all the time. You're like, oh, try my new bag. <laughs> no, that would be perfect, though. That would be really good. Um, okay, but the the last sentence is, the flowers can be eaten um, also, So, but most people saute them and cook them with scrambled eggs. Yum, yum. That's how they normally eat them? Yeah. That's how people who eat agave cook them, usually. The flower? So you only eat... You're like... <laughs> interesting but so you won't you won't that's a weird choice of words you're right most people it's like what who are these people so um uh, the parts of the plant they eat is just like the flowers or like that syrup thing like you don't eat the the leaves so it sounds like technically you can eat them like the people nine thousand years ago were eating like, right the leaves right Okay. But I think it's like you gotta be like real desperate. Like it's not typically eaten because it's so fibrous. Like you can literally make like rope out of right. it. Right. So I think you can eat it if you're like you need a lot of fiber. <laughs> but it's probably not it doesn't I don't think it has like tons of nutrients besides fiber, you know, in it. One more thing I'm gonna mention because I have it here about Utah Agave. Um, so it's adapted, like I said, it was like studied by a lot, they study agave a lot to see how it adapts to its environment. And this is like a lot of technical terms, but it's cool. So it's an adaptation to their arid habitats. Agave uses a synthetic, a photosynthetic pathway known as crassulacean acid metabolism or CAM in which... Carbon dioxide is fixed at night to limit the amount of water loss from the leaf stomata. So it's doing all, it's photosynthesizing at night to make sure that it holds in as much water as possible during the day. Yeah, completely arbitrary talked about that somewhat recently with maybe it was, I don't know, some tree, some desert tree. Or photosynthesis that yeah. night. Oh no, it was the Sawara cactus episode that they did. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because I haven't listened to any recent ones lately, but um, that's cool because I was gonna say it's just like a lot of cactus. Yes, they, they photosynthesize at yep. night because that. So that's what like I think that maybe that's part of what makes them semi succulent too, though. Um, right, because it's like. Anyway, but I thought that was cool. So that's how, that's one way that they have adapted to living in the desert. Yep. But yeah, so that's pretty much all I have on 
the Utah agave, but did you have anything else you wanted to mention? No, just um, I'm excited when this comes out to like post pictures. I mean, it's nothing like seeing it in person, but uh, it's just like such a cool plant. Yeah, you should definitely look at like pictures of the flower. Because I don't think I've ever seen it bloom. I've just seen like the spike. Yeah, it's, and like, I, really so cool. I haven't either, but that was exactly, like, that was one of the first things I saw or, like, noticed as, and I was like, what is that? That's so cool. Because they're so tall. Did you, did, did you know anywhere? Yeah, like, how tall they are? Because it's, like, super tall. Well, like, it's, like, 14 to 16 feet okay. tall. So that's why when I'm saying it's big. It's, it's like, like, so you big. Up, you're standing there and you look up and it's just, like, keeps going. Yep. And it's not a tree, you know? It's just a flower spike. So that's what's so crazy. But yeah, they're just, they're really special. Um, so I'm glad I covered it. And that makes me like think about our adventure and. Oh, take and me back. The warmth. This, when, I, I like winter, but it's like I haven't gotten out this winter. So it's just like, I need some outdoors time. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like it's just like, haven't had a lot of opportunity to do anything um okay well let's wrap it up um thank you for listening and um get outside and, and smell, smell the wild flowers. Flowers. talk to you okay, soon bye, bye.